like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I had a fairly solid weekend myself, and I hope you are ready to start this new work week off with another fantastic edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Now, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, make sure you go over to the housekeeping items first. Or let's make sure to go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure I word that right as well. Make sure you go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on every form of social media, Twitter or X, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel and click on a few videos while you're there as well. And if you like them, feel free to give them a like. And uh, while we're on the topic of that, might as well make sure you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Leave a rating out of five stars. It doesn't need to be a five-star rating. Obviously, I would appreciate a five-star rating more than anything else. But if you feel the show is not up to snuff or up to your extremely high standards, then that's fine. You can leave whatever rating you want just as long as you leave a description down below uh, why you feel the way you do, and we'll, we'll sort out our differences. We will sort out our differences. Now, I want to go over what we did this weekend, because it was a, again, it was a pretty fun weekend. It, it, it's still, it's still Sunday right now. It's 3.50, it's 3.35 here on, uh, August 6th, but Friday and Saturday were some eventful days. Well, not as, like, ah, well, some may argue they were as eventful as last week. So remember, we went over last weekend's events as well, where we went to, like, 18 different wedding parties and baby showers on one Saturday, this weekend was a little bit more, I don't, I don't want to say condensed, but it was still a lot of traveling. So Friday, so Thursday night, we should start about start off Thursday night. So I'm sitting there in my living room at my apartment. I'm just on my computer. I'm getting ready to record a show because I'm waiting for it to be seven o'clock so I can record a show during the Hall of Fame game. And then Brady, who's been on the show numerous times, I asked him beforehand if he wanted to record a show with me because we were going to watch the Hall of Fame game and we were going to go re- record a show. But he was like, hey, we're going down to Chiefs training camp, which is in St. Joseph's, Missouri, which is where we know we talked about the Blue-Gray All-American camp at Missouri Western. So we had little connections here and there. But around like 6, 6.30, he gives me a phone call and goes, hey, uh, are you doing anything right now? And he's like, well, not not currently. Not currently. And then he goes, well, um, Carly and I, again, okay, we're going down to uh, – Missouri Western, we're going down to Chiefs training camp, and we we saw there was a Sporting Kansas City game this weekend. We saw Sporting Kansas City was playing at home on Friday against Toluca in the League's Cup. We don't have a Coors Light with us here. Usually, we have a Coors Light when we're talking about the when we're talking about the League's Cup. We don't have one here. We just have a nice, calm, cool glass of water while we're watching the Chicago Cubs game. They're currently at five four in the middle of the seventh inning against the Atlanta Braves. We'll take a quick sip of water, real quick. But he goes okay. Logan, do you want to possibly go down to the sporting game? They're already going to be down there, down in Missouri, obviously, again, for the training camp. So it would be on me to drive down there and then drive back up that same night because they weren't staying down in Kansas City. They weren't staying in St. Joseph's. They were going to drive back that night either. So it was going to be a ride down, ride back, same day, six hours back and forth in total. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'll think about it. I'll think about because I'm a big Sporting Kansas City fan. I haven't been to a game, a Sporting Kansas City game in a few years. Probably pre-COVID was the last time I've been to a Sporting Kansas City game. Now, I've been to a game at Sporting Park when the United States played Canada in the 2021 Gold Cup where they won one nothing. We'll get to the United States women's national team here in a little bit. But I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'm, pro- I'm leaning towards it. But yeah, I'll, I'm leaning towards it. But I'll let you know. And then right as I hang up the phone, I go, oh, crap. I don't have a car. Because my car is currently in the shop. I got rear-ended 
a few we- uh, a few weeks ago, two months ago, back on June like fifth. So it's been a long ass time since I got my car, you know, fixed since getting rear-ended. So I was like, ah, shite, I don't have a car. This will make this trip a little bit harder if I'm forced to walk slash run or go down there by via, I don't know, Longport or something like that or Bicicleta. I don't know. So I text my dad. like, hey, dad, uh, would it be all right if I used the work truck to drive down to Kansas City? Because I've been driving that around this week. Well, my car, I took the car into the shop on Monday. I haven't heard anything back. Hopefully we get it back sometime soon. The back end was all mustard up, busted up. I don't know what mustard up was supposed to mean, but busted up. So we're getting that fixed. And I was like, you know what? Can I take the work truck down? He's like, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That way you can also avoid putting miles on your car. So I text Brady back and said, okay, I got the work truck. I am good to go. I'm ready to go down to Sporting Kansas City game against, again, Toluca in the League's Cup. And I love going to that place. It's a very fun atmosphere. And Brady's never been to a Sporting Kansas City game before. We went together to the USA game, but he's never been to a sporting Kansas City game, and his fiance Carly, who we've brought up on the show before, she's never been to a soccer game, in general. She's, I asked her when we were down in Kansas City if uh, she'd ever been to a soccer or a sporting Kansas City game. She hasn't said she hasn't been to a soccer game past, like, high school, or past, like, 8th, ninth grade. Like, it's been a long-ass time. She's not a big soccer fan, big Iowa State person, big football and basketball fan, not the biggest soccer fan. And I've been at Brady and Carly's house while we were watching the United States versus the Netherlands, which, again, we'll get to the United States women's team here in a little bit. Yeah, the long drive down there, fun drive, fun, fun drive going down to Kansas City. Absolutely nothing going on that entire drive for miles. And then we get hit with spotty showers the entire time. I was like, okay, either piss on me for a while or just or just don't at all. Like, I don't need the on, on, off, on, on, off, on, off, like, all that stuff. I just, just do it all, get it all out of the way. So I don't need to keep dealing with this. And he got all these stupid smart, super, su- yeah. Jeez, I'm struggling with English language right now. We got all these super smart people driving around in rain who have acted like they've never driven a vehicle before because a few drops of water hit their windshield. And it's not like anything major. There was a few times it took an absolute dump on everybody, but that lasted like 0.5 seconds and then it was just done. And then you drive and then it's pissed on you a little bit and then it dump on you and then it's done. And then do it again, do it again. So I was like, man, is this going to be how it is on the way back? On the way, I don't need to do this at night. I don't want to do this at night. I don't need to deal with people, stupid people driving at night mixed with stupid people driving at night mixed with rain there as well. I just don't want that. So thankfully, we avoided all of that. But we get down to the game, walk in, do all that stuff, and we're excited. There's like a good, fun atmosphere there. A lot of Toluca fans are around again in the League's Cup. Uh, the United States has been the home teams for these games, but there's a, you know... For years, anyways, I should say, there's been a relatively well-known fact that teams down in Liga MX, down in Mexico, are better, generally speaking, than teams in the MLS. There's, I believe there's no salary cap down there. There's no rules against designated players like the MLS has a structure in place. So it's a little bit different. So they gave the U.S. teams the home advantage. So with that being said, sporting, playing at Sporting Park, though without Alan Polito, you're expecting sporting to, you know, put forth a solid performance. Maybe not win outright, but maybe take it to penalties. They should have won outright against uh, FC Cincinnati, took that game to penalties, and then lost the game, which is just awesome. Beautiful way to end that game. <laughs> but this game against Toluca, you're relatively high spirits. Like, okay, they can win this game. They can win this game. And not only did they not win this game, they got absolutely dominated. Absolutely freaking dominated. It's the best way I could put absolutely schlacked and from the home supporters at Sporting Park. Like, it was, it was terrible. 
It was terrible. Started off with an own goal in like the 30th minute, and then Toluca goes right down the field and scores again. So you're 2 nothing down when you controlled the entire possession up until that point, controlled the entire flow of the game up to that point, and you give up an own goal, and you give up a goal right after that. It's just not great. It's not a great feeling. There was a couple penalty shouts in there for Sporting. I don't know how real they were. They never showed them on the, on the I say Jumbotron, the scoreboards. So they're not really Jumbotrons. They're, they're decent-sized scoreboards, and the Cubs just went up. Nice Dansby Swanson RBI double. Cody Bellinger will score. Stole base. Now in round in third. Goes to home. So, yeah, Cubs up 6-4 in the bottom of the seventh. Love to see it. Love to see it. Playoff push is still on for the boys in blue up in Chicago. But right before halftime, so you're down to nothing. The most important, like the most dangerous lead in sport, <laughs> the, the most dangerous lead in soccer is being up to nothing. You get too careful there. So if you can score a goal before halftime, and I don't believe that, that's just one of the old sayings about there. But if you can score right before halftime, that could be excellent momentum booster going into the second half. And what we thought, Sporting scored. Andres Fontas scores a goal right before halftime, but it's ruled offsides. It's ruled offsides. And they never said anything about it. He pointed the center circle, and then all of a sudden they're reviewing it via VAR, and all of a sudden the goal is taken out. Momentum went straight up to 100, all the way back down to zero, because when you have that feeling of scoring a goal, nothing feels worse than having that thing taken away from you, especially when you're already down 2 nothing at home. And then not only that, once the second half started, you could tell something was off again because they just continued to get dominated. Toluca had the ball at one point in the second half, they just passed around Sporting for about 10 minutes. Like there was a time, there was a stretch in that game. I don't know if it was exactly 10 minutes. It felt like an eternity where Toluca just passed the ball all through Sporting Kansas City. And for Peter Vermees, a defensive-minded coach with a defensive-minded, usually strong-willed team, it was an embarrassing way to give up the third goal. They literally just carved them up like a freaking Thanksgiving turkey. Like it was absolutely nothing. A hot knife through butter, whatever analogy you want to use for it, they absolutely schooled them. And all you could do was hold your hands up. Like, I didn't even get upset at that goal. It's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? They they, were, they stood no chance in that situation. They just didn't step up. They didn't do anything. They got cut right through. And then Toluca would put in a fourth goal, rounds the goalkeeper, John Polskamp, and then puts him up 4 nothing. Sporting would get a goal later in the game. Agata would score. He came on later in the game. I understand he's coming off an injury, coming starting to, come on, starting to get back into the flow of things, but I think you would put him in if you're going to play him at all, might as well put him in before the score reaches 4 nothing. Because they're trying to do this whole false nine thing with Polito being out, Agata not being fully fit. So it's kind of this thing where we're just continuing playing the false nine. And for those of you who don't know what a false nine is, it's uh, so soccer positions are numbered kind of like baseball. So the striker position is registered as a number nine. So what you will have in a false nine is usually a central midfielder or someone that will drop in a little bit deeper to try and connect play that way. You saw Germany do that when they won the World Cup in 2014 with Mario Goza playing as a false nine. Thomas Muller would sometimes play as a false nine. They play as a normal strike when they throw in like Mirosov close up top. Man City did it a lot when they won the league last year before they signed Erling Holland. Like it's a it's a common practice, but you have to have the right players in place in order for a false nine to work. Because if you don't, the false nine, you will get absolutely no goals out of it. And that's what Sporting Kansas City got here. They tried to play Eric Tommy up top. It worked at spurts. He had his moments, but nothing really fantastic worked out there. Then you bring on a 100-year-old Roger Espinoza to play the same position, and surprisingly, that didn't work either. Like, the false nine, it can work, and like, but if it doesn't, it just doesn't. 
there's more negatives, in my opinion, to the false nine than there are positives. Because, again, you need to have that specific player. When you don't have that, it just makes everything very wonky, especially when you have a right winger in Kerry Shelton who just is allergic to goals. Very athletic, very direct winger. But when you can't, when he can't score goals because he can't cut in off the left, you have to play him on the right to add that athleticism, and you're taking Johnny Russell completely out of the game and moving him to the left because he's a left-footed winger. So you have your left-footed winger who usually plays on the right to cut in and score goals. You have a false nine, and you have a winger who can't score goals who's right-footed, and you're throwing him on the right. That doesn't work. That is a recipe for utter failure. The midfield was fine. I was a fan of the midfield to start off, like Remy Walter, uh, Felipe Gutierrez, and Gotti Kinda. That's a solid midfield right there. But the back line stressed me out. I told Brady that before the game started, this back line stresses me out, and it did. Fontas was not very good the entire game, and that's just not, that's, you know, it's, the problem is, you got absolutely blasted in this game, there's no other real way to put it, you got absolutely blasted in this game, it's just a shame that Rosario, Rosario and Fontas are going to be the main focal points there, but everybody on the field was bad, for the most part, for sporting, Polskamp tried his best to stand on his head throughout the entirety of the game, made some very impressive saves, one-on-one saves, but for the most part, those were null and void, because of the fact they were just getting carved through. They were absolutely getting carved through. And it was just insanely frustrating to watch. Just absolutely embarrassing to watch as a fan. And then now Toluca's playing Sporting's greatest rival. Because, you know, the MLS is doing all these expansion teams. Trying to do these forced rivalries. You got Minnesota United playing Toluca in the next round. So it could have been Sporting Kansas City versus Minnesota United. Which would have been a very fun result. Very fun game. But no, uh, this game was, uh, this was a brutal game. Absolutely brutal game. I, the starting formation, it can work, but it just, it, it's it, most of the time, I'm not a big proponent of the false nine. Like when you have Lionel Messi, when Pep Guardiola was first at Barcelona, he played Lionel Messi in that false nine role. That worked. Because he had Lionel Messi in the team. If you don't have a player like that, it's not really going to work. Mario Goza, very versatile player. Thomas Muller, very versatile player. His experience playing up top. It, it just didn't work. And to bring your striker on when you're 4 nothing down, it's kind of like, what was the point of this? Why'd you bring him on now? He's not healthy, which is why he didn't start in the first place. So why are you bringing him on now when there's 4 There's nothing he can do. He did end up scoring a goal. Maybe should have had another one in there as well, but I don't know. Just a complete mess of a game. And speaking of, you know, Messi, so they're playing FC Dallas tonight in the League's Cup. It's Messi's first away game in the MLS. Uh, the tickets for that sold out in 10 minutes. I just hit the microphone, sorry. The game sold out for ten, in 10 minutes. Tickets for Lionel Messi's first away game in America against SC Dallas sold out in just 10 minutes. 10 minutes. No one gave a rat's ass about this stupid Inter-Miami team before Lionel Messi got there. I No one watched them. I never wanted to sit down and watch an Inter-Miami game. But guess what? Every single time they play, I'm sitting down and watching Inter-Miami play. Now, I'm not going to be able to do that tonight. I've got plans with friends. We're going to see a movie tonight. We're going to see The Meg 2. Saw so it was a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, so we have to go see that. It's a must. It's a must. But based off current form, it'd be kind of hard for me to fathom Lionel Messi losing this game or Inter-Miami losing this game. I say Inter-Miami. It's Lionel Messi losing this game because Lionel Messi makes everybody on this team significantly better. This team is ass. This team is not very good. Now you got Messi's friends at Busquets. you got Jordi Alba making his debut in the last game against Orlando City. This team's not very good, but you know what? you got Lionel Messi. 
You got Lionel Messi. It's, it's funny. It's funny how everybody's taking it as well. Like it's rigged for Lionel Messi. Which I understand there's a lot of sponsorship opportunities here. But Messi will sell himself. There's no, he doesn't really need to have these extra things. Messi, like there's a 1,820% there's increase for FC Dallas tickets versus Messi. That's it. Uh, 1,820%. FC Dallas ticket game prices. Normal average price for an FC Dallas game is 45 bucks. Sunday's average price, today's average price against Central Miami, 864. And we brought up this like a few weeks ago when we talked about the MLS and like Inter Miami bragging about how tickets are astronomically expensive to go see games with for, when Inter Miami play. Like I don't think that's cool that you're bragging about it, but it is insane that that in, that increase is happening. Like Messi does not Inter Miami doesn't need to be good. They've got Lionel Messi. They, that's it. And people saying it's right. Lionel Messi was tearing people up. He won the World Cup in December. That was a few months ago. This isn't a normal aging player. Messi's going to win the Ballon d'Or, and it's not just because of the World Cup. He had a great season in Europe as well for PSG. Didn't win a whole lot in regards to the main things. Everybody knows PSG's going to win Ligue 1. They're going to win the Coupe de France. They're going to win all that stuff. They just need to win the Champions League. Didn't win that. So people are going to look at that and go, eh, all that stuff. Messi's just different. That's the main factor in this. They don't need to rig games for Lionel Messi. Just think of how stupid that sounds when you say it out loud. They're rigging games for Lionel Messi against MLS teams. A guy that is bigger than the league itself does not need help against MLS teams. I'm sorry. And I thought it was funny against Orlando City. He was getting really chippy with everybody. He's getting very chippy. I saw a Lionel Messi jersey at the Sporting Kansas City game against Toluca. I saw one there, and I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked at all. He's bringing a lot more eyes to the sport, but those eyes are solely going to be on TV because normal people like myself cannot afford $864 tickets. What are the ticket prices for his game against the Chicago Fire? Because that's the game, that's the closest game I can go to. Because the Sporting Kansas City are playing down in Miami this year. So we might have to try and figure out a way to get there next year. <laughs> Where's uh, Chicago Fire's game against Inter-Miami? Is it sold out? Wouldn't surprise me. Oh, no. There we go. Fine tickets. We're on vivid seats right now. $149 is the cheapest ticket here. And they're at Soldier Field, mind you. They're at Soldier. They're not at Toyota Park anymore. They're not at a 20,000, 30,000 seat stadium. No, 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 no. This is Soldier Field, the home of the Chicago Bears. Well, current home. The Chicago Bears. Who knows about that whole move to Arlington Heights and stuff like that. What is the most expensive ticket? What is the most expensive? What? Is that? There's no way that's right. What the hell? Is this a real ticket? This is one, one ticket. I'm not exaggerating here when I say this. I'm on vivid seats right now. You can go check this out for yourself. Lower level 139. So you're basically on the 50-yard line, right at midfield. You're right. You're right behind the Chicago Fire's bench. One ticket, row 13. So not even row one, row 13. I'm gonna take a sip of water for this one because this is ridiculous. The price for this ticket, twenty-nine thousand three hundred and forty-five dollars. Twenty-nine thousand. Just wrap your head around that. Twenty-nine thousand. 345 
for one singular ticket. And you know what? Some dumbass is going to buy that ticket. It'll be insane to go and watch a game, see Lionel Messi live and in person. Ain't no way in hell. I don't care how much money I have. I ain't paying $29,000. If I'm sitting behind there, I'm hoping to be a celebrity where I get invited to the game. I ain't paying $29,000 for a ticket. I ain't, I am not doing that under any circumstance. Let's go to SeatGeek. Let's see if they have, like, even more insane ticket prices for that game. Near Ankeny, Iowa. <laughs> well, when's Inter-Miami going to play in Ankeny? That'd be fun. Chicago Fire. Okay, we're seeing, like, uh, there we go, $595. $1,408. That's an amazing deal. That's row one. One ticket again. Row one, one ticket. Midfield, benches, gold, low prices. I want I want insane prices. Price. Invert that. Can I invert this? There's 1,099 listings. I don't want to go through all of them. I just want to see the price of that. No way. No way. Is this... Am I really seeing this right? Okay, we're not seeing as expensive. Okay, there we go. Not as expensive. Uh, $27,079. This is also sorted by... Is this just sorted by price? Okay. So, you know, SeatGeek has the little deal ratings. Premium price, row 13. So, oh, you can get that same ticket. This is the same spot. You're right behind the Chicago Fire Bench, row section 138. You can get that same ticket off SeatGeek for $2,000 less. If you're if you're in a uh, money pinch right now, $27,000, I don't, I'm afraid to check out. I, I want to see what, like the fees and everything would be, but I'm afraid to hit that checkout button because I, I don't know what I'd get it roped into. What a uh, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. Not ticket smarter. What? Who who goes to ticket smarter? Ticketmasters. Gotta see what Ticketmaster. Because we all know Ticketmaster always has the best deals for tickets. Enter Miami. And we're. I wasn't planning on doing this, but this is just kind of funny that this is. This is insane. I didn't expect to see twenty nine thousand dollars for a ticket. Thankfully, that last one was on sale. Thankfully, that last one was on sale. I was. No way I was going to that game until I saw the $27,000 ticket. I was like, ooh, you know what? That's right in my price range, actually. That's right in my price range. Where's the Chicago Fire game? Is it not? Ticketmaster does not have. There it is. Found it. Found it, found it, found it. What are you, okay, fine. 800 plus. So they don't even have, like. Okay. Lowest price, best seat. Let's go best seats. That's got to be the most expensive way, right? Five thousand dollars, ten thousand. No, okay, we're not. We're gonna have to go best. I don't need two tickets. I just want one singular ticket. One singular ticket. Good lord, I, I just want that. Why can't this be easier? We're nine thousand dollars is the most. Oh, that's the section. There we go. Section one thirty-eight, thirteen, row thirteen, nine thousand. We're finding deals for you today. So you're trying to find that section 138, row 13. That's only $9,000 off Ticketmaster. So I would go to Ticketmaster's if you're uh, if you're looking for a cheap Inter-Miami ticket. I was hoping it'd still pop up. It's It, it stopped loading for me. So is there any other expensive tickets? Okay, so $9,000 uh, $9, plus fee. 
Lord knows what the fees are, but good God. So we've done a $29,000 ticket. So it's we've gradually worked our way down. $900, I feel like, or 9000 sorry, 9000 so you divide that second ticket we saw by three, and you get this one. But it's the same spot. Section one, section 138, row 13, seat three. So you're in between people, too. I thought you'd be, like, at least on the aisle seat or something. Man. What is field ticket? Oh, jeez. What is this? There's no way these aren't, ex uh, aren't more expensive. You're on the field. There's no way that's not more expensive. Four wow, okay, $4,000. Is it just because it's behind the bench? I, I would imagine that's the only reason why. There's got. How are the tickets that are, you know, closer to the field less expensive? What's this one? This is right behind Inter Miami's bench. Three thousand dollars. That's directly behind Inter Miami's bench. Three thousand dollars. Okay. You know that's fair. I think it's a fair price. The, that three thousand dollars. Twenty nine thousand. Twenty seven thousand. Was pushing it. Nine thousand pushing it. So you can get closer for cheaper. But at section 138, row 13, that seat is expensive as hell. That might be the most expensive ticket I've ever seen in my life. Now, I've never actually gone on these websites to look for the most expensive tickets, but that one, that was pretty damn expensive. And I'm not surprised either, but it's sad that that's what we're getting, what we're promoting here. <laughs> and on the topic of sad things, on the topic of sad things, Let's go over the United States women's national team crashing out of the World Cup. That's the best way you can put it. That's the best way you can put it. This is the first time the United States has not qualified in the top three in the World Cup since ever. Since ever. U.S. women's national team out of the Women's World Cup at the round of 16. Earliest World Cup elimination in U.S. women's national team history. Losing on penalties to Sweden. And I'm not going to bullshit you. I'm not going to bullshit you. This game was at 4 o'clock in the morning. I did not watch this. I did not watch this. I'm not even afraid to admit it. These games are too stupid early. These are too stupid early games. Three, five, 3 or 4 o'clock. The game against Portugal, I'm pretty sure, was at 2 in the morning. We were at the Sporting Kansas City game on Friday. They were broadcasting a watch party for this United States women's game against Sweden. At fair play to whoever the hell woke up that early and started drinking alcohol that early in the morning. The Rebel coffee was flowing like freaking water there. Irish coffee, same thing. Everything was flowing like water there. Or did people just like leave that and go? I don't think you can do that and then go home and go to bed. I don't think that's possible. And you'd be too jacked up, too emotional and involved in that game. I think it's a World Cup knockout stage game. There's no way you can leave the watch party and then just go home and go back to bed. I, I find it hard to believe anybody can. I certainly as hell couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But I, I shouldn't say anything because, again, I didn't watch the game. But from everything I have seen, everything I have heard about, is that the United States, for the most part, in this game, were the better team. But that does not matter in the fact that you lost the game. When you draw a game, you can have those discussions. When you flat out lost the game and had a pretty... By United States Women National Team standards, a pretty shitty-ass World Cup. Like, you drew two games. You drew one in, in full time and then lost in penalties. You won one game against Vietnam where you won 3 nothing. A game where you should have, you know, I'm not, again, we said this before the World Cup started. I wasn't expecting a 13 nothing drubbing like we saw against Thailand in 2019. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting a little bit more than 3 nothing in this game. It was a really bad, poorly managed World Cup by everything I could tell. Because the games I watched, 
the lack of substitutes, especially the game against the Netherlands. A game where you're getting beat pretty much the entire time until Lindsey Horan saved you on a corner. The entire time you were getting beat. Used one substitute, and that came at halftime. It was Roosevelt. That was it. Only time you used substitutes that entire time was then. <laughs> and then this one, this game in the World Cup, used three subs. Only one of them in regulation. Only one of them in regulation. You subbed in Megan Rapino at the 99th minute. For those of you who are unaware, that is well into extra time. You are almost at halftime in extra time. And then not only that, you bring in Christy Mewis and Kelly O'Hara at the end of regulation in extra time, or at the end of extra time, to take penalties. As we saw in England in Euro 2020, that's not a great strategy. Like, Kelly O'Hara missed the penalty. Now, Christy Mewis scored hers, but Kelly O'Hara missed the last penalty. And the United States, Alyssa Nair, thought she saved the last penalty, but via goal line technology, it was ruled in. And I think it's funny, like, everybody on Twitter talking about that, like, soccer using goal line technology and stuff like that. <laughs> you see this all the time. And soccer implemented this a few years ago for, like, the big tournaments. They don't do it eh, everywhere. They might not do it in, you know, Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying or CONCACAF, but who knows. But it's funny looking at that, and then we're still trying to figure out, geez, the, okay, the Cubs are going back-to-back -back steals. So Patrick Wisdom gets thrown out at second, then Horner goes right after him, and he gets the bag. He gets the bag. Travis Darno, they're testing Dar Darno's arm there. But you see the, like the NFL and college football using a chain gang still. I think we could think of better ways to justify it or figure out ways to better figure out if a player got the first round, then they're going, eh, it's, that looks good. That looks good. Like, there's got to be some sort of chip in the ball or something. Like Maybe first downs is hard enough, hard, hard spot because you're not consistently going to the same line. Maybe that makes it a little bit difficult. But for the goal line, for a touchdown, there's got to be a way to better implement that. There's got to be a way. Like, oh, I can't tell if the ball crossed the line there. Put the chip in the ball, and then we'll have that constant you know, notification if the ball crossed the line or not. Because I hate those when you get in a pile. It's like, oh, I can't tell if he crossed the goal line there. No, we're not. No, it does, we, should, we should be past this. It's 2023. A new age of football is entering with all this conference realignment stuff, which we'll get to in a little bit. We have to have goal line technology in football nowadays. But say, thought she saved the penalty. Turns out she didn't. The United States crashed out of the World Cup losing 5-4 on penalties. And this is a... Uh, the best way I can word this, this is a rude awakening for the United States. And did Ian Happ just crank a home run? No, he did not. Flat out to center. But this is a similar situation to all these national teams at some point, rather or another, get thrown into. You're dominant for so long. Like, you look at Spain in that era of 2008, 2010, 2012. They won two Euros and a World Cup in that time span. They won three major tournaments in that those years. And then the 2014 World Cup, you want to know what happened? They crashed out in the group stage. They got dominated by the Netherlands, and they were in a group of Chile, Australia, and the Netherlands, and came third only because Australia was so much more ass than they were at that tournament. And you had relatively the same players in the 2014 World Cup versus the 2018 World or the 2010 World Cup. Apart from you added Diego Costa, you got him to switch his nationality from Brazil to Spain after he had a fantastic year for Atletico Madrid. But again, you had the same relatively. Javi Alonso was still there. Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Iker Casillas was still in net. <clears throat> Gerard Pique, Sergio Ramos, like a lot of the players you had were from that last team. So why did you crash out? There's an aging out process. There's a lack of real development 
in the squad. And that's talking about Spain as well. Spain's starting to kind of get back up there. They just won the Nations League over in Europe. They beat Croatia on penalties. So they're starting to get back up there. But there was a stretch where Spain was kind of lost. And I fear that's what the route the United States women national team's kind of going into. Like Megan Rapinoe's 38 years old, didn't really add anything this entire tournament and missed her penalty. Like you have a front three that are pretty much the entire tournament, Rodman, Smith, and Morgan, that are pretty much relatively the same players to a certain extent. But you're forcing them out on the wings. There was no idea, real firm idea. There was no firm shape. There was no firm anything in this tournament from management and from the organization as a whole. Like we said the same thing about the Gold Cup of the United States men's national team. This World Cup was a failure. And let no sense of the word, at every sense of the word. You are the number one ranked team in the world and have been since 2017. You have won two straight World Cups and you crash out in the knockout stage, the first round of the knockout stage. And you play like this the entire World Cup. This is the only game from what I have been able to tell, because again, I didn't watch this game. From what I could tell, this is the only game where they actually looked like the better team. I don't think from what everything I've seen, they didn't look like the better team against Portugal. They definitely didn't look like the better team against the Netherlands. And against Vietnam, they should have looked so much better. There should have been a firm grasp of talent level there. And you go into the game against the Netherlands with the exact same lineup against a team where you barely, I say barely, a 3 nothing result is nothing to be sniffed at, but against a team like Vietnam, you should be having really no issues there. It should be more than 3 nothing. Look at the Netherlands. They beat them 7-0. That's four more goals. They doubled the United more than doubled the United States goal tally tally in that game. I don't know, man. Vlaco, this was just a very poorly run tournament, and the United States who has been based so much off of athleticism and stamina and stuff like that. The rest of the world is starting to catch up in the development of the women's game, and that's just a fact. That's just a cold hard fact. May, people may not like hearing it. That's kind of the fact. The world's catching up. And sometimes that happens. You can get, you can write all of this. Again, Spain was going through the similar situation. Spain dominated the world with tiki-taka philosophy, but in 2014, that technique, that ta- those tactics proved inefficient and aged out completely, and they got absolutely dominated. You saw in 2018 as well, in the 2018 World Cup, they sucked ass there too. They lost the knockout stage to Russia on penalties against Russia, a team... That, by all accounts, though the host, should have been not anywhere near Spain's level on any front. On any front. So, like, I'm not saying this is, like, a one-off thing. No, this happens all the time. Look at Germany. They won the World Cup in dominating fashion in 2014. They've been knocked out in the group stage the past two World Cups. It happens. It happens. You're not going to be on the top forever. It's just not possible. Especially when people start taking the women's game more seriously across the world and they just have better coaches over there, which is what we talked about with the United States men's national team, with players going over to Europe, the development over there is better. And when those coaches start realizing that they can develop a product in the women's game as well, they're going to start focusing more and more on that and the United States will start falling further and further behind. I'm not saying they're going to drop out of like the top 100 FIFA rankings they are going to be a worst national team in the world or anything. They're still able to compete with everybody. Like Germany, they just got knocked out in the group stage. They've won two World Cups. They got knocked down the group. The women's team got knocked down the group stage of this tournament, too. No one can stay on top forever. No one can stay on top forever. France freaking was in the final in 2006. 
Got knocked out in the group stage in 2010. Italy won the World Cup in 2006. Have missed the last two World Cups. So for those of you who would like to sit there and say, I'm picking on the women's national team. No, it happens. This is part of the course. You were dominant for so long because you were doing things no one else could do. Your development of the women's game here was so much further above everybody else in the world that when they started developing the same rate, you just can't keep up. That's the problem. You're going to have to figure out how to adapt to this. You're going to have to figure, you have to go back to the drawing board, redraw everything up, have a firm plan in place, get these young players involved, and then you can start going back and trying to be the best team in the world again. I don't know if that happens in the next World Cup. I don't know if it happens in the next World Cup after that. But athletically, they can compete with anybody. It's just a matter of if we can develop the game even further to get them more on a technical standpoint as well. Because the Netherlands outclassed them completely. A game against Spain, they would have been outclassed. Spain won 5-1 against Switzerland. They just got beat 4-0 against Japan. They won 5-1. Japan won 4-3, or 3-1, sorry, against Norway. Netherlands beat South Africa 2-0. Like, these were the Netherlands, Japan, and Spain were three teams we said that would cause the United States some problems. Netherlands should have beaten Spain, or should have beaten the United States. Again, got lucky there. And Spain, I think Spain and Japan, in hindsight, because we said before the tournament Spain would be the United States' biggest test. In hindsight now, I think they would have beat the United States relatively easily, if I'm being 100% honest with you. Like, we will look back at my Women's World Cup predictions. Since the group stage is done, I feel like we can finally look at these now. So for Group A, for the Women's World Cup, we had Norway, Switzerland, New Zealand, and the Philippines. It finished off Switzerland, Norway, New Zealand, and the Philippines. It's relatively close. Just one Norway and Switzerland we flipped around. Group B, we had Australia, Canada, uh, Ireland, and Nigeria. Uh, we just slide Nigeria up. Ireland did absolutely nothing this tournament. And Nigeria, <laughs> they beat, or, uh, yeah, they beat Australia with Sam Kerr being injured, beat them 3-2, to two, had a draw against the Republic of Ireland, and then Australia pounded the shit out of Canada 4-1. Or 4 nothing. sorry. So that got Australia back on top of the group. So yeah, just slide Nigeria up, but again, just one, really one team change. Like, slide Nigeria up, the rest of that was pretty, relatively solid. Group C, this one, you know, we flipped the top two teams around and the top, the third and fourth place teams around. But we got Spain, Japan, Costa Rica, and Zambia. Finished Japan, Spain, Zambia, and Costa Rica. And Costa Rica just got blasted the entire time. Their goal difference was minus seven. They had one goal scored and eight allowed. And Spain were having a very good tournament, beating Costa Rica and Zambia by a combined eight nothing. And then guess what? Japan comes through and beats them four nothing. Not really ideal, but Japan, one of the best teams in the world, just thought Spain was just above them. And it turns out Japan, at this point in time anyways, maybe if they meet again, they'll go back to the drawing board and things will change. But it turns out Japan was better than Spain in this tournament. But not again, not too far off. We got the knockout teams right there. So we, in regards to knockout stage teams, maybe not the exact order, we're two for, we're two for three. And Group D, exactly right. England, Denmark, China, Haiti. England, Denmark, China, Haiti. And this one's kind of cool because England had nine points, won all three games. Denmark had six points, won two games, lost one. China had three points, one, one, one game, lost two, and then Haiti had zero points, lost all three. So a nice, simple graph right there. But that one was perfect. That was a perfect turn. That was a perfect one right there. Uh, group E, the United States group. We had the United States, Netherlands, Portugal, Vietnam. Netherlands beating Vietnam the way they did. United States escaping with a draw against Portugal and the Netherlands came in second. So yeah, 
Flip that around, but third and fourth place, we got that right. Then Group F, we predicted France, Brazil, Jamaica, Panama. It finished France, Jamaica, Brazil, Panama. With Jamaica getting a nil-nil draw against Brazil. Brazil needing a win in that game. Coming away with a draw. Not ideal. And we probably saw Marta at her last World Cup, to be 100% honest with you. She's, she's getting older. She's getting older. But, again, got the winner of the group right. Group G, we had Sweden, Italy, Argentina, South Africa. And then much like Group B, uh, slide South Africa up two spots and slide everybody else down. South Africa finished second, Italy third, Argentina fourth. Sweden won the group by nine points. And then you have Group H, we predicted Germany, Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. This one was a mess. This one was a mess, and this usually figures how the last groups usually pan out. Just a freaking mess. And finished Colombia, Morocco, Germany, South Korea, with Colombia and Morocco both getting six points. Now, Morocco only scored two goals and allowed six. An impressive minus four goal difference, which is the by far the worst. I say by far. Was the worst in their group. Germany had a plus five goal difference that got, got eliminated from the World Cup. They beat Morocco 6 nothing. They beat Morocco 6 nothing. And they ended up crashing out of the group. Lost against Colombia and drew against South Korea to go out of the group. Tough way to go out. Tough way to go out. But, again, for the most part, we got the group stage relatively close. I mean, Nigeria and uh, South Africa finishing last in their groups. They ended up coming second in both of them. Group H was just a mess right off that one. Group D we got exactly right. Norway, or uh, Group A we almost got right. Group C we almost got right. Group E we almost got right. So, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take the... I'll take the World Cup predictions for there. And then the knockout stage, how did we have that one going? So, And we're not 100% done with these ones, but knockout stage. This won't be hard because we didn't have these games, not a lot of these games matched up. But we had Spain beating Switzerland. We did have that game. Spain beating Switzerland, but it was, we had Switzerland coming in second. And then we had um, Spain coming in first. This one, Spain came second, Switzerland came first. So that kind of missed things up. We had Norway and Japan. Ooh. Ooh, I had Japan losing to Norway. Not ideal. Not ideal, but we had the matchups right. We had the matchups right, just the wrong wrong picks. Then we had Netherlands-Sweden. We had Sweden, win- Sweden-, Sweden winning that game. Uh, they obviously beat the United States. I had the United States beating Italy, who, of course, came third in their group on penalties. And then the rest of these matchups, we- do we have any of these same ones? We had Australia-Denmark. We have that game. I picked Australia in that game. That game takes place tomorrow. England, Canada, it was ended up being England, Nigeria. We had France, South Korea, turned out to be France, Morocco. And Germany, Brazil, turned out to be Colombia, Jamaica. So yeah, then we got Spain versus the Netherlands, which should be a really fun game. Really fun. I'm picking Spain to win that one. And Japan versus Sweden. Obviously, I've got to rep the, the home country. And it's got to be one of those things where you got, it's one of those where you kind of want to cheer for the team that knocked you out. So you could say you lost the champions. But I think Japan will probably win. I think we're seeing Spain and Japan beat the Netherlands and Sweden. And then for the rest of those games, I think England beats Nigeria in a close game. I think Australia beats Denmark. Yeah, I'm going to go Australia beats Denmark. Colombia, Jamaica. I might go Jamaica, you know. I might go Jamaica. Got their first points at the World Cup against France. And now they're going to the knockout stage. So I think they might just keep building on the momentum, right? It'll be close. It'll be a close one. Yeah, then France, Morocco. I mean, I, I'm going to lean France, but 
I don't know, man. Morocco, like they what they were at the Men's World Cup, a very sound defensive team apart from that stupid game against Germany where they lost 6 nothing. They didn't allow a goal past that. They didn't allow a goal against Korea. They didn't allow a goal against Colombia. Won both those games. So, it's just unfortunately got blasted 6 nothing. <laughs> but the Women's World Cup, tough way to go out, United States, but... And again, I know I'll, it'll be a weird development period for them, but because they've never been at this point, they've always been the top dogs. Again, they've been the number one ranked team in the world since 2017, so they haven't really need to have this adjustment period. But again, it happens to everybody, so it's now their time. It's now their time. We'll see how they adjust to the rest of the world. But yeah, tough way to go out. Tough way to go, especially the way like the penalty where we didn't know the ball went over the line and it technically did. It was by like less than millimeters away from staying out, and yeah, just a tough way to go out. Tough way to go out. Now, like, again, <laughs> tough ways to go out. Tough, tough ways to go out. Uh, Pac-12. Good lord. Oh, God. It hurts to watch the Pac-12 nowadays. I loved the Pac-12. Growing up, I was a massive fan of the Pac-12. I really liked watching Pac-12 football. Like, I loved watching USC versus UCLA. I loved watching the Oregon. Like, you'd have a whole day of college football, then you'd turn it on late at night, and you'd watch Oregon versus Stanford or Oregon-Washington when Marcus Mariota was there. Like, it was all these cool things, all these games you could watch. Like, a whole day, you start off with Iowa kicking off against Northwestern at 11. You got some 2.30 SEC games. And then you got the Pac-12 at 9 o'clock. And you're like, this is this is fun. DeAnthony Thomas, Marcus Mariota, Michael James, like all the Oregon guys back in the day. It was made for really fun stuff. And now the Pac-12, coming next year, I should say, will have a whopping... Uh, <laughs> where's the Where's the graphic? Four teams, unless things change drastically. So this was all happening Friday. This was all happening when I was down in Kansas City because Carly Brady and I were talking about it down there with all this conference realignment stuff, them being Iowa State fans. You had a few teams join the Big 12 on Friday. But the Pac-12 right now is Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. So you got the little brothers of Washington and Oregon sticking in the Pac-12. Lord knows what's happening here. Lord knows what's going to happen with the Pac-12. If they join the Mountain West, which is just a, it's a shame. Because Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State have all had success in college football. Like Washington State, if I'm not mistaken, won a freaking Rose Bowl. And now we're going to be talking about them going down a conference, not considered a Power 5 conference anymore. Stanford has been up there with the college football greats back in the day. Like It just sucks that this is happening and everything's just falling apart at this point. These conferences just don't make any sense. Like, sooner rather than later, we're going to have two massive conferences at this point. It's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC. But the Big 12 was trying their... They lost Texas and Oklahoma. It looked like the Big 12 was going to die. That looked like the net, the first conference that was going to die was the Big 12. And then we saw USC and UCLA leave. Announced they were leaving. And then shortly after that, if I've got my timeline right, I'm not 100% sure, but... Then we had BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati join the Big 12. So it's like, oh, so who's really dying here? Big 12 is not looking like an amazing conference right now, but they added some teams so they can at least stay afloat for a little bit. Because Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, the two biggest brands by far in the Big 12, leaving conference to go to the SEC to get ass-blasted there. Like, I haven't seen that. I can remember anyways. I, I could be misplacing my knowledge here. But when's the last time Texas or Oklahoma beat an SEC team? Like, Texas almost beat Alabama last year. Is there any other ones that I'm just completely forgetting about? Because I can't really remember the last time they beat 
SEC teams. And again, I'm not trying to state this as fact because I have no freaking idea. I can my memory is not really working out right now, so I can't my we're struggling here. But this is a similar situation like when Nebraska moved to the Big Ten, especially with what the current state of Oklahoma is. Like what they did last year and Brent Venable's first year. I understand they had a lot of people leave to USC and a lot of people enter the transfer portal, but I wasn't expecting them to go 6-6. Six and six. I can tell you that. Texas is going to be better this year. I mean, Quinn Ewers in his second year under Sark, and then you got like Xavier Worthy. The offense is going to be solely placed on Quinn Ewers' shoulders now that Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are gone. So we'll see how that works out for them. I would imagine Texas are the favorites to open the season in the Big 12. I would imagine so. But the Pac-12, man, that's a fun conference. Or was, I shouldn't say anymore, it was a fun conference. Had a lot of really fun matchups there. I saw a screenshot from the 2005 Rose Bowl between USC and Texas, and I saw somebody say, my favorite big, my favorite SEC Big Ten matchup. It just doesn't make any sense. Geographically, it doesn't make any sense. I know it makes a lot of money. Like USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, that is massive for revenue. But for these kids that are traveling everywhere, going from LA to freaking where the hell Rutgers are in New Jersey, that's not easy. I know it makes you a lot of money. It's not an easy travel. You're traveling completely across the country. And I don't know how they're going to do the whole conference realignment stuff, like for the individual conferences. Not saying more teams moving, but like how they're going to divide these conferences up. Chris Hassel was on Twitter today talking about North and South for the Big Ten, which would be kind of funny to see. So you got Washington and Rutgers in the same, <laughs> the same division. Another insanely far cross track. Of course, he was joking about it, but it's still funny to see how they're going to try and re- recoup this. Like the here's the current state for next. I say current state next year state for college football. Okay, so Power Five conferences for next year, as they stand right now. I haven't refreshed Twitter or anything or been on Twitter or anything recently, so maybe something's changed again. But the SEC will be Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, Oklahoma. South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. Okay, so there's your SEC. Big Ten, this is where we started to get a little bit wonky here. Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, which is still stupid there, there. Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State, Purdue, Rutgers, UCLA, USC, Washington, and Wisconsin. Now, if you want to kick out Maryland and Rutgers and send them to the ACC, That'd be fine with me. I think you just keep the Big Ten how it is. That'd be perfectly fine with me if you just want to kick those two out. Give them back to the ACC. Give them back. Give, put, just throw Rutgers in there. Give Maryland back to the ACC, but put Rutgers back in there. And then I've seen things today, speaking of the ACC, that Florida State's trying to get a Saudi-backed team to get them to the Big Ten or to another conference. I could have could be completely wrong about that. I got, Hold up. I got to pull that up because I is that, that has, is that true? Is that true that that might be happening? Florida State wants out of ACC by any means necessary. This is from two hours ago. Is this the article I am looking for? Where? I don't know if it's going to pop up with anything important. If Joy search Florida State. Hey, Florida State, Saudi Arabia is something that pops off, so... Florida State Board of Trustees threatens to leave ACC over media revenue balance. So it's like, we're the A-side type thing. We're having a little boxing situation here. Who's the A-side? 
Drew Weatherford. Oh, I remember him at Florida State. He's the trustee. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of if we leave the ACC, in my opinion. It's a matter of... It's not a matter of if we leave the ACC. It's a matter of how and when we leave. Not everyone agrees with that, but I feel strongly about that. Florida State trustee Drew Weatherford, former college quarterback. Where's this stuff about Florida, like the Saudi Arabia stuff? Because I saw it literally popped up on Google. Is this something that's real or am I being stupid? I could be, be whatever. There's a lot of shit that's going on with Florida State and leaving the ACC and stuff like that. Charlie joined the Big Ten, them and Clemson. We talked about that a couple weeks ago too. But the ACC is relatively the same. We got Boston College, Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Pitt, Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. Same thing. But if Florida State and Clemson leave, that would open the door. So we can do here. I'll, I'll, I'll offer you a trade. The Big Ten gets Clemson, Florida State. The ACC gets Maryland and Rutgers. How about that? I think it's a fair trade. I would take that trade. And you know what? For your problems, for your troubles, um, the Big Ten will also, because you're going to say we don't, we lost a brand. We lost a brand. Uh, we'll throw in Nebraska. Stacey so can have Nebraska. And you can add Notre Dame, too, if you want to. So there's your two massive brands, because you're losing Florida State and Clemson. So there you go. There, everything's sorted out there. And they got the Big 12 with Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah officially joining Friday. This is what kind of put the final nail in the coffin of the Pac-12. We got Arizona, Arizona State, Baylor, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Colorado, Houston, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Christian University. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Texas Tech, Utah, and West Virginia. Man, college realignment's so fun. Winners and losers. Let's see what CBS Sports says the winners and losers are. Winners, Colorado. Yeah, I think they're going back to the Big 12's fun. Losers, Oregon, and Washington. One of the most watched successful athletic departments in the country over the past 30 years. Both programs earned a rightful place as one of the top college conferences in college football. However, the rival comes through the back door with a diminished share. Oregon's won the college football playoff, won a college football playoff game and played for national championships in 2010 and 2014. Washington has four top 15 finishes in the past seven years, including an 11-2 season with an Alamo victory, Alamo Bowl victory in 2022. They also have a college football playoff appearance. They got blasted by Bama. Now, both programs will make substantially less money than Maryland and Northwestern, which is disgusting <laughs> to play in the same conference. To make matters worse, the Big Ten is a logistical nightmare for the newest West Coast editions. The nearest current Big Ten member is Nebraska, more than 1,600 miles away from both schools. While USC and UCLA provide a Western wing of the conference, even those schools are more than 800 miles away. At least UCLA and USC earn $75 million per year to make a nightmare to make the nightmare trips, Oregon and Washington will be struggling on a budget. Frankly, these programs deserve better. Winner Arizona, loser Utah. Winner the Big Twelve. Yeah, because again, the Big Twelve is always going to be a winner here because of the fact that they looked like they were going to die when Texas Oklahoma first announced they were leaving. It's like who the hell is going to join the Big Twelve? It's kind of a problem there. And then they had those four teams join, and now we're talking about the Pac-12 being done. Loser West Coast Athletics. Yeah, TBD Arizona State. Uh, I don't know. Loser, George Klyovkov. Sorry, the Pac-12 commissioner. Yeah, just a weird time in college football. No one's no one's been a fan of it. I'm not necessarily a big fan of it. Like, it just it makes no sense logistically. I know it makes sense money-wise. People's bottom dollars are getting bigger. Like these commissioners and stuff like that, and these, these athletic directors and all that. But as far as the teams, it doesn't make any sense. 
It doesn't make any sense for Rutgers and USC to alternate trips to the opposite end of the country once a year. Like, it doesn't make, at least for football. We're not even talking about basketball. We're not talking about all the other sports. We're just talking about specifically football here. So we'll see how the conference realignment messes up college basketball and baseball and stuff like that. Because, you know, Eric, like Notre Dame's in the ACC for basketball. So maybe it changed things up there. The Missouri Valley Conference for football is a completely different conference than Missouri Valley Conference for basketball. Like it's, We'll see how that all works out. But I always think it's funny. Like, you'll see these programs, these, like, commissioners, these big guys, like, talking about the lack of, like, loyalty in college football. Like, these kids today, you get paid a little bit to go somewhere else. You just change completely. That's exactly what we're doing now. You're te- tearing down the very fabric of college football because your po- your pockets are getting thicker. Like, there's no reason, other than money, for Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA to join the Big Ten. It makes no sense. Is it cool for, like, a fan's perspective? Like, if we're just trying to look at it, one teeny part of it, would it be, is it cool to think of Iowa, and we're talking specifically Iowa fans, Iowa playing USC or UCLA home and away? Because they're both, if they stay the western and the eastern side, which is what they should do, because it'd make no other sense to do, no sense to do otherwise, wouldn't that be cool to have them play at Kinnick? Like, that part, you could sell that to fans. But then you would look deeper, and it's like, this is kind of kind of shitty. It, it kind of sucks. Because I like the, the Pac-12 a lot. I really enjoyed watching the Pac-12, and it's done. It, there's no way you can come back from this. And it's no longer a Power 5 conference, because you're replacing USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, with the likes, and no disrespect, Boise, San Diego State, Hawaii, uh, UNLV, Nevada, Utah State, like those aren't anywhere near the brand levels and brand recognition that you're going to get from these. So like Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford are screwed completely. The amount of revenue they got, they're getting, just shot down tremendously unless they could somehow weasel their ways into the Big Ten and Big 12 picture. Because the thing about the Big Ten and the Big 12, they're not defined by their region. And well, they... They might have been at one point, but there's no mention of a region in their name. Like, you got the ACC, the the Atlantic Coastal Conference. If you're not in Atlantic, on the Atlantic Coast, it's kind of hard for make you an ACC team, right? I know we brought up Notre Dame playing there in basketball, but it wouldn't make sense for USC to be an ACC school because they're on the Pacific Coast. And then you got the Southeastern Conference. If you're not in the, at least the south part of the United States, which I don't know where that line is because Missouri's way more north than everybody else. But where's that line drawn? Who knows? But if you at least got to be in the south. Eastern doesn't really matter anymore, but as long as you're in the south, like Texas and Texas A&M, they're not east at all. Maybe they're more east than the certain, like the dividing line that moves it. I don't know. But you got to be in at least that region. Big east. You got to, well, at least it used to be you got to be in the east, but they involve Creighton. Creighton's further west than Iowa. So, (laughs) I don't know. Conference realignment is just stupid. I do love the double standard, though, when it comes to the players taking money versus, like, the organizations and the universities taking money. I love how that, like, that flips around. Now now it's convenient. Now we're not going to talk about who's being, you know, faithful and loyal here. You signed a contract, a media contract, with this conference. Well, guess what? Drew Weatherford, former quarterback at Florida State, now a trustee at Florida State, says, uh, yeah, we're leaving because we're not getting the media share we wanted. I think that's a little bit more slimy than a kid getting paid millions of dollars by dumbass boosters that are just wanting their team to be semi-successful 
for a year because they're transferring. They're probably not going to be there very long. It's true up to the NFL, especially getting paid that much money to go to a big-time university. You're not getting paid that much money to go play for freaking, I don't know, Utah State. But Jordan Addison going from Pitt to USC, he was already going to be a top receiver in the draft, but that just boosted him even more, and he got paid out of it. I don't know. I think it's funny how it's all turning on its head now. But college football is, uh, it's fun. I love college football. I love Iowa. I love watching you and I. It's just not, it's in a weird spot. And there's a lot of people on social media, like, telling all their different things with, with commentary alignment, what they would do. But we all know that's never going to happen. What the people want is not going to happen. Fans will not be able, there'll be no USC fans. Thankfully, for this being said, thankfully for USC, they're a big enough brand to where they do have fans nationally. So maybe there'll be some fans at the Rutgers game, but there's not going to be a lot. Evanston, Illinois, I don't think there's going to be a lot of USC fans there. And that's way further west than Rutgers is. It makes no sense. It just make, it makes no sense apart from they're getting paid, paid to do this. Getting paid, paid to do that. But man, there's a lot of stuff going on with college football right now. And the crazy part is we are still a few, we're still a month away. <laughs> we're still getting crazier for college football. We're getting that itch again. Cause you know, like football's getting close. We just had the hall of fame game on Thursday, which Dorian Thompson Robinson. Hey, cheering for you, my dude. I love that dude at UCLA. Love to do it in the draft. I'm glad he's, he played well in the hall of fame game. Maybe he took a spot from Kellen Mond. Who knows? I don't know how much Deshaun Watson is going to play in this preseason. I wouldn't expect him to play at all. Maybe a series in the last game or second game or whatever. Because that last game will be decided, like, who's going to make the final roster spot. So maybe Deshaun plays in the first game or second game. I don't think he'll play in the third game. And for a series, you don't want to risk him getting hurt. You have too much money involved in Deshaun Watson to risk him getting hurt. I did see Bryce Young is going to be making an appearance in preseason, which obviously he's a rookie, needs to get some game time. I saw, I think people were getting like a, what, he's going to play? Yeah, obviously he's a rookie, he needs to play. He needs to play. But college football is fun. I've seen a lot of stuff recently. I saw this on Twitter earlier. Is it acceptable to cheer for multiple FBS teams? See, this is the problem. So you see this conversation a lot between Iowa and Iowa State fans with people that went to UNI. This is, this is myself, so I get thrown right into the fire with this. UNI is an FCS school. If you have an FBS team and an FCS team, I think that's perfectly fine. I grew up an Iowa fan. I went to UNI for two and a half years. So I have a connection to UNI. I went to almost every football game, almost every basketball game. I worked for UNI, did a radio, a couple radio shows at two UNI. Now, I work, the two stations I work for are the voices of the UNI Panthers. So I have to have some sort of loyalty to UNI. And I will always cheer on UNI. I'll go to games when I can. I'll watch them this year every chance I can. So I think that's fine. If you have an FCS school, an FBS school, like my friend Johnny, I don't know how much of a Montana State fan he is, but he has Montana State and Iowa. He's a diehard Iowa fan, but God, he lives in Bozeman. So I think that's a fair thing. FBS is a little different. It's a little different. I think it's fine when you're a child. Like, when I was in, like, elementary school, middle school, I think everybody had, like, oh, Oregon's awesome. Oh, Boise State. And I'm this is speaking from Logan himself. So I was a big Oregon, Boise State fan. And I think when Marcus Mariota was there, everybody was an Oregon fan. Everybody watched Oregon football. LaMichael James, you had, again, De'Anthony Thomas. We brought all these people up early. Darren Thomas, when he was there before Mariota, they went to a natty against Auburn there. Darren Thomas was a good quarterback now. Fun teams. Chip Kelly's offense was awesome. That was made Pac-12 after dark so much fun. In Boise State, just a little guy just upsetting everybody. Every time they played in a big game, they won, it felt like. 
Like they lost. It was funny. Like Boise State being such a small conference when they were in the whack, and then they moved over, of course, to the Mountain West Conference. But you had Boise State losing to Nevada. That one, that regular season game when Colin Kaepernick was there, lost in a few field, missed a few field goals at the end of the game. Boise State went from the Fiesta Bowl to drop down all the way to Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Bowl. It's a big drop off there. And who knows if Boise State goes to the Pac-12, maybe that boosts their stock a little bit. I don't, again, I don't think it'll be a power considered a power five. We got a power four conference. It'll soon be a power two conference, but that's neither here nor there. That's a discussion for a different time. But FBS as an adult, I don't know. I don't know. I. I because you're going to, I don't know, it makes things a little bit difficult. You're not competing for the same things with FCS versus FBS. You're not competing for the same things at all. Two, two different end goals there. FBS, you're competing for the exact same things. I think it's fine if you go outside the conference. If you do two conference teams, that's a little bit of an issue. I think that you're, you're mixing, what do you call it, you're... Mixing business with pleasure there, and I don't think that's a very good thing to do. <laughs> Like for fantasy football, my friend Spencer, he never drafts Bears players because he never mixes business with pleasure. And he really, and I've said this about Bears fans before, and he'll agree with me on this. I got a couple other friends in that league that are Bears fans. Cole, who I do a show, the I go on his show every once in a while up in Cedar Falls. He's a Bears fan. Like I, I know a lot of Bears fans are all the same way. They all hate the Bears more than they like the Bears. You cannot find any fan in the NFL that hates the Chicago Bears more than the Chicago Bears. It's really funny to see how that all works out. No one hates the Bears more than the Bears. But, that being said, the Bears are kind of getting, like, insanely boosted this season. Like, from the media and, like, fans and stuff like that. A lot of people, Bears fans are a little bit, you know, there's some that are still down in the dumps because it's the Bears, but there's some that are going supernova. They pop up my timeline all the freaking time. I don't know why, but I see it every day. Like, I don't know what this team's going to be. The team won three games last year. Three games. I understand they made a lot of moves and a lot of very smart moves, but I, I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're going to be above 500 team or even a 500 team. I don't know if I'm ready to say that yet. It all depends on what we see from Fields. And if, any, if last year's anything to go by, the next step, he should be very, very good. But we got to see how that chemistry works with him and DJ Moore, see how the run game works off because – no one really knows what the run game is going to be this year if it's not just all Justin Fields. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I've like sticking with the NFC North, um, Bears rival, their biggest rival, the Chicago, the, the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love has been a very big subject on my Twitter feed recently, or my X feed, I guess you could say. And Adam Shine, who we brought up on the show before, who I don't necessarily have like a massive problem with, but. A lot, and I mean a lot of his stuff, is like, you're wrong, I'm right. All the time. There's no, like, wiggle room for anything. And if you think this way, you're a freaking idiot. Or if you agree with me, you're smart. You're smart. Okay, we're going to have two different opinions here, and I'll tell you why yours is wrong, and you can't tell me why I'm wrong. That's kind of what the situation is. Like, he went on his show and said, Jordan Love can't play football. I'm not paraphrasing. He can't play football. I still can't. I still can't believe the Packers picked. Okay, here's one tweet. This isn't the same tweet I'm looking for, but I found this one. I screenshotted this one too. I still can't believe the Packers picked Love over T. Higgins. Easiest first guess ever. Also worth expiring. Uh, explaining. Also worth expiring. Love's TD interception ratio against top 25 teams is filing your college. I mean, Josh Allen's wasn't great. I don't, I don't think Mahomes was great. Mahomes got beat by Iowa State. 
So I appreciate this from Mike Floor. I don't think that's important. We're talking about college. He's been out, he got drafted in 2020. Remember that? He got drafted in 2020. It's been a long ass time since he's been in college. I don't know why we're really talking about this. Mahomes was 0 9 against top 25 teams. Like, I don't know why we're talking about this. Why does it have any relevance to what we are seeing right now? He played well in the games he was in last year. I haven't seen anything of that from practices in Packers camp this year that leads, leads me to believe that this dude's going to be complete dog water this year. I don't think that at all. I think he's a very good quarterback. I liked him coming out of college anyways. He's at Utah State. Why are we bringing up top 25 matchups against Utah State? If he was at Alabama or Ohio State or a team like that, then yeah, that's fine. Bring up the top 25 teams. You're consistently playing top 25 teams. When you're playing a top 25 team, your only role against said top 25 team is to be the the whipping boy for said top 25 team. Then we're not going to have a conversation about his record against top 25 teams. I don't think that's fair at all. But he said Jordan Love can't play football. And he hasn't even started a game this season. That's why I say this about the draft all the time. Never call a player a bust before he's played a single snap of the NFL. That is the dumbest route to go. But you can't prove it. You can't prove it at all. Like the same thing about Josh Allen. He's a bust before he even played a snap in the NFL. People wanted them to draft Josh Rosen over Josh Allen. Like, what? That's the dumbest. Like, people going off on somebody before they played meaningful time in the NFL is really dumb. I understand Jordan Love has played sparingly in the NFL. We're not writing him off yet. Trey Lance, we're not writing him off yet. We talked about him in the last show. We're not writing him off yet. I hope he goes somewhere like Minnesota and performs well. Gets out of San Francisco because I don't think Mike Kyle Shanahan will go with Lance over Purdy because of the way he wants his quarterbacks to be. I think a young head coach like Kevin O'Connell, and when I say young, I'm talking about years of experience. I don't know. They might be the same age. I don't know. But or around the same age. Shanahan will probably be a little older, but in regards to coaching experience, a coach like O'Connell will be more willing to change his system or adapt his system versus a guy like Shannon who's had the same system his entire career and has been in the game for, I mean, the Patriots Super Bowl is what, 2016? A long-ass time ago. 2017? long time ago. So we're not writing them off at all yet. Do not do that. that is, we've seen Trey Lance play four games in the NFL. Only what, three of them have been starts, one of them he broke his ankle, and the other one was in a monsoon against the Bears. Why are we writing him off right now? So he's only had one real start in the NFL, and he won in that one start. And we talked about his throw in practice. That wasn't a great throw when he was throwing to the, when he was on bags. He had a great throw at practice the other day. Like, again, you're going to have bad throws at practice. Every quarterback has bad throws at practice. It's just when we have a narrative, that's when they start becoming more and more important, even though he's going to throw a bunch of really good passes the entire day. Jordan Love can't play football. I don't know how you under, like, are you underestimating the word, the word can't? Because can't play football. If you can't play football, you can't get to the NFL. I think that's a very easy route we have to go here. I think we're kind of just going around the roundabout here and going like, hey, uh, that first day, you kind of have to be able to drive. <laughs> He can't play football. Not can't play quarterback at the NFL level. That's different. Can't play football in general. Devondre Campbell was the most vocal. Let him play at least half a season before you open your big dumbass mouth. Yeah. This is going to be a disaster with Jordan Love and Green Bay. A disaster for Jordan Love and Green Bay. What is this one here? I took my mouse stopped working. Why is this not zooming in anymore? I'm trying to zoom in so I can see this tweet. I screenshotted it last night. 
Jordan Love can't play football. There was one of, I was watching the Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz fight last night and on my phone. I was scrolling Twitter while the Amanda Serrano fight was on, and I had it on like that little tiny screen. I was trying to find things to talk about for today, and I had that. So it's blocking some of the tweets there. I got to find those those tweets. Hold on, give me a couple seconds. Because it was going over some of the the like you're wrong, I'm right stuff. He he always has some very interesting takes. He always has some very interesting takes. Like Jordan Love threw a really great touchdown today at practice. Sidearm between two defenders. Like he's a good quarterback. He's a good, solid quarterback. He is he going to be Aaron Rodgers? Lord knows. If you're already if you're if you're saying he's a bad quarterback because he's not Aaron bleeping Rodgers, then that's a little bit of an insanely high bar for him to be set at. But Trey Lance looked good at practice the other day. Jordan Love's looked good at practice by everything I can tell. But where is this tweet? It had screenshots of his up. There it is. There it is. So Devondre Campbell's full thing. Ain't no way you just got in here with that baggy ass Steve Harvey suit and then kick ass Dollar Tree glasses and disrespect my QB saying he can't play football. He only has one career start. Let him play at least half a season before you open your big dumb ass mouth. When you're irrelevant like Adam Shine, you tend to talk louder and make people believe the whack shit you say. It's Kevin Benkirk, who was a former quarterback of the Packers, or maybe he's still on the Packers. And here's one more interesting one. I was gonna. I was wrong on this guy. Guess who? Okay, before I, before I say the name, guess who it is. I was wrong about this guy. Blank is an early sleeper candidate for MVP. Who is this guy? You got. Uh, we'll give you ten seconds. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I was wrong on this guy. Trevor Simeon is an early sleeper MVP candidate. Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon. But Jordan Love can't play football. It's time for Take Your Pick with Adam Shine, Colts. Matt Ryan, greater than Tom Brady. Now, this could have been about an individual season. Either way, Tua over Jalen Hurts. Tua over Jalen Hurts, a guy who finished second in the MVP voting. Matt Ryan over Tom Brady, who got benched for not only Nick Foles, but Sam Ellinger as well. And now is not retired, but is retired because he took a job with them with CBS. So I don't know what to make of his stuff. But let I, I echo that for everybody out there. Don't write people off before they played any meaningful time in the NFL. Any mean like Trey Lance. He could not be he may not turn out in the NFL. Who knows? But at least give him the opportunity so we can learn if he's turned out or not. I don't think he's gonna get said opportunity. I was on the boat that Trey Lance is going to get every opportunity to get that job back after seeing everything that's gone on this offseason. Because I mostly expected Purdy to be out a little bit longer. After seeing everything that's gone on this offseason, I think he's just going to just train to Minnesota or train him to Atlanta. I think those are your two best options for him. But, yeah, I don't know. I, it always irks me when people do that. Why are you trying to – like? because what do you gain if you're right about that? What do you gain if you're right about that? You're just praying for someone's downfall. That's not – how is that enjoyable? It's not enjoyable at all. And you're not even a Packers. You're not even an NFC North fan. You're a freaking Jets fan. Why does it matter? Oh, we got Aaron. I I forgot about that. Aaron Rodgers. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's his guy now. It's his guy now. And it's like, you got to be. I hate this era that we're in in regards to sports media. I saw a tweet today. Uh, Guess who's not making the playoffs this year? Book it. The window is closed. Bills will miss the playoffs. And McDermott is out as head coach. Nice. Someone tweeted that. Someone tweeted that. 
and there's no way they actually believe it, but you know they tweeted it because it's going to get a lot of attention because you said a team that just went 13 and 3 lost their three games by combined eight points is not only missing the playoffs but also firing their head coach who has the best regular season win percentage in franchise history. So I don't think that we are talking about firing Sean McDermott after a missed playoff season. And I anybody saying this team's not going to win the division is kind of just crazy to me at this point. But I, I'm a biased fan, so I, I understand that. But, man, that's crazy. And the final thing I want to talk about, this is the first time in over two decades we will not see a season without – we will see a season without Tom Brady's a starting QB, at least for now, because he's going to come back at some stupid-ass point and ruin everybody's fun – or actually make it even more fun because he was should have retired and stayed retired the first time. Now he's going to come back after not doing a whole offseason. Who knows? He's probably still throwing. I don't know. But, yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. Cubs won, for those of you who were, uh, were aware. kind of forgot to mention that. But, yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better next time if you didn't enjoy it. If you enjoyed it, we'll try to be the same as we were this time. But uh, <laughs> we'll make some changes, of course. But, yeah. I will see you all later. Enjoy your show. or show, I hope you enjoyed the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your Monday, and I will see you all later. Peace.